I have a very special guest for this episode. His name is Greg Hartley, and he's a body language and interrogation expert and author of multiple books. I learned about him by watching uh, a show he does on YouTube, and it's called The Behavior Panel. And this is uh, Greg and three other um, top body language experts, and they put out weekly videos where they analyze human body language. I'm quite fascinated by it, totally hooked on those videos. And I noticed that Greg often mentioned his horses, sometimes mentioning something related to body language. And I thought, you know, I need to reach out to this guy and see if he would come on my podcast. And I'm happy to report that he, uh, he eagerly said yes. And we've, we had such an interesting conversation. So we talked about reading body language. We talked about interrogation techniques and how they relate to horses and horse training. And they are remarkably similar. Uh, he'll also talk about our own body language and the importance of, of us being aware of our own body language and what to do when we feel fear. So I think you're going to really enjoy Greg's unique perspectives on all this. So here we go. Episode 46, Body Language with Greg Hartley. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Right. Well, thank you, Greg, for saying yes to being on this podcast. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, my, my listeners and I are really interested in having happy and productive relationships with our horses, whether it's just for pleasure or for competition. And understanding body language is such a big part of this. So we need to be able to read our horse's body language and our horses are reading our body language. So we need to be able to master that. So I am so curious to talk to you because I think as a body language expert, you're going to have, and a horse lover, uh, are going to have some really unique uh, perspectives on this. So um, maybe can you share some of your background with regard to your expertise in body language and what you've done with it? Sure. I'll just give you my little, my little standard spiel I use for everything. And then I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into horses. My name is Greg Hartley. I'm a former army interrogator, interrogation instructor, resistance to interrogation instructor, I've written 10 books on, on body language and behavior. And I spend most of my time on wall street and corporate America, but I'm also a member of this group called the behavior panel at thebehaviorpanel.com, We do a YouTube show weekly where we take people's body language apart and explain what's going on in their head. Um, I, I taught body language for a while for the Army, went through a lot of that. And so I, I'm a hard-learned guy I learned doing. And then I started horses in 85. So I've been around horses for a, little, a few years, too. Didn't start until I was an adult, but that just means that I made the choice instead of being dragged into it like our children are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I so just to share with the listeners, I 
first saw you through the behavior panel videos, I stumbled across them on YouTube and I am like so hooked every week. My husband's like, Oh, you're with your guys again. <laughs> and <laughs> well, thanks for being there. We love that. Yeah. It's so interesting. So I highly recommend people check that out. The behavior panel, um, fascinating learning so much. And I noticed that you, Greg, kept mentioning your horses every now and then and mentioning it in different um, circumstances or, you know, referencing their body language. And so it was in my mind of like, I need to talk to this guy. I think it'd be interesting. So I, yeah, I just emailed you out of the blue and um, was so lucky you said, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad um, you did. You know, it's interesting. There's studies, uh, University of Sussex or Sussex University has done a lot of studies around what horses can perceive about people. And one of the things they know is, for example, a horse can read rigid or or strong body language as aggressive and soften or less aggressive body language. They can read that if they can read it. And we get all the time body language is voodoo science and that kind of thing. If an animal can read it, you should be able to learn to read it. It's the way I look at it. And horses yeah. are masterful at knowing what you're thinking, where you're headed. They can smell fear. There's all those old adages. Or, you know, people always say they're old wives' tales when I was young. They're, they're not. They're real. I mean, a lot of the stuff that our ancestors knew we've forgotten or convinced ourselves is not true. Yeah, and I and this is something that, you know, I'm fascinated with and a lot of my listeners are. And, you know, as a, as a trainer and, well, even before as a student, sometimes you'll notice a horse having some sort of problem or a person having a problem with a horse. And then the trainer, you know, takes the horse and kind of just stands there talking for a little bit and and then all of a sudden the problem's gone sometimes just by the way that person is being differently you know the way they're yep. standing you know all these unconscious things that the horses are picking up on um, is beyond the technique you know it's like why isn't this technique working for me it's supposed yep. to work <laughs> like Sometimes well, I'll it's... give you a great example of that, Karen. When, when I was a young guy, you know, I was a soldier and soldiers are headstrong. I'm, was, <laughs> I'm guilty of that myself. You know, I'm much older now and a little, a little calmer, I hope. But I had a mare I'd picked up when I was living in Monterey. I live in Monterey, California. And this is an old school horse. And just, she knew her stuff. She was an old thoroughbred mare, great mare. Loved her, kept her until the end of her, her days. But she would not load. She was one of the worst loading horses ever. And in those days, I was one of those guys who believed you can only haul, haul a horse X number of hours and you have to take them out. I didn't mm -hmm. know how long a horse actually can haul without problems. And so I pulled over, I took her out, and I could not get, and I was in a rest area in <laughs> no. California trying to put this horse <laughs> on mistake. the trailer. <laughs> I knew every trick in the book, every trick in the book, and I tried everything, and none of it worked. And this guy came up, and he walked up, and he said, can I try? And I was like, sure. You know, I was irritated. He walked up, he talked to the horse for a minute, and she walked right on the trailer. Yeah. To this day, I always say something he did I didn't do yeah. or something I did wrong he didn't do. So horses yeah. are living things with their own minds, and we all know, you know that we, we project a lot onto what they think, but they do think, and they think about lots of things we don't see, and they are, their yeah. nuance is amazing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of people listening can relate to the fact that you know you practice your trailer loading, it all goes well, it's doing perfectly, and then until the day of the show, and as soon as you walk yeah, out the house, sure. the horse is probably like, "Oh, this yep. this can't be I know good." That because your so body language out. is different. Exactly. Yeah, and, and when you go to the show, you're stressed, and you know cowboys get one thing right: if you're afraid, that horse is going to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that all the cowboys I ever knew in my life. And I don't mean, you know, whatever derogatory term some people use for cowboys. I'm talking about cowboys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they would always tell me, 
You know, I, I lived in the West and I learned a lot from some of these guys who work cows for a living. And they would say, if you're afraid, that horse is going to be afraid. Why wouldn't mm -hmm. it be? You've got claws. Yeah, you know, exactly. You don't think of it that way. Exactly. I'd love for you to share what you do with horses. Because, you know, I, I just oh, we yeah. talked a little <laughs> bit before this podcast. I'm like, I, you know, it's so different. And I think it's fascinating. So, yeah, what, what do you do with your horses? What's so your... I, I, I've done a little bit of everything in my life, but I'll tell you my geeky part. <laughs> I am, I've been a sword fighter <laughs> off and on since I was 20. Three. If you told me now in my late fifties, I would be, I would take up sword fighting. I would think what a weird thing to do. But when I was 22, it seemed like a great idea. And it was, you know, it's a physical thing. It's an activity. And so I've been doing that since I was a very young guy. And I had sword fighting on one side and horses on the other. They were not related because the guys who would do the sword fighting, their horse stuff was blah. They would play games and it just was not for me. They would play games like go pick up things and all that kind of stuff. You know, I didn't care for that. I wanted to do fun <laughs> things, chase cows, do those kinds of things. And about 15 years ago, we introduced in this organization fighting on horseback with swords. So I've been doing that for 15 years, give or take. I've jousted some. I've, uh, I've chased cows. I've played so backyard cool. polo. You name it, I've tried it. If it's adventurous, I would try it and have fun. And I will tell you, it's amazing how well horses adapt to the whole fighting on horseback thing. It's almost like they did it before somewhere in their mm -hmm. ancestry, you know? So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny when so, you mentioned the sword fighting, I sort of made a joke of like, Oh, do you joust? <laughs> and you're like, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I should find, I should find a picture of my armor. I have 90 pounds of stainless steel from head to toe that oh is for goodness. the jousting. And then a lot of like uh, chain mail and all that kind of stuff for sword fighting. Uh, among the most interesting things I've ever done, um, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote and then we'll go from there. I, I got, had a pretty bad horse accident in 2005. Bad enough, I can't remember eight hours of the day. I mean, it was one of those wow. kind where the helicopter was involved in the whole thing. And oh, it was a minor goodness. accident that I landed wrong and cracked my head on a log and that happened. Wow. And I was really timid. And then I rode in the 940th anniversary of the Battle of Hastings in England. And there were 100 horses and 3,000 people on foot. And if there's ever anything that took away my fear, that was one of the craziest things I've ever done in my life is fly to Europe, get on a horse I've never seen, and ride it into a crowd where there are 20,000 spectators the next day. And these were not the calmest horses on earth. Wow. And it was, one of the more, it was one of the more fearful things I've done in my life, but it put me back to comfortable getting back on a horse. <laughs> like everything so, yeah. else feels easy after that. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was it was pretty pretty interesting to say the least because it's got a horse seeing twenty thousand people for the first time, and these were hack horses from around little riding stables all over England, and they put out a call and they brought in these horses and said, "Bring them if they're calm." Well, wow. if you're paying enough, people will bring them if they're not calm. Yeah. And one of the horses I was on <laughs> was a runaway. It was just crazy. The other horse, the lady told me, she called him a wingnut. And I said, well, what's a wingnut in your definition? She said, he's fainted before when we were playing games. And I've never heard of a horse fainting. Yeah. But it was, it was pretty interesting. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a whole other world <laughs> than, than what I do. Yeah, but it, it was interesting. So fascinating. Yeah, and horses... Horses can be so brave. You're talking about your jousting ones and the ones for the fighting out. They like kind of like the cow horses, like they get into it. They yes. want to move into that. Well, so It's funny you say that. I ride, for, for you that, that's listening, I ride a, a Blue Valentine mare is who I fight on. Really nice, big quarter horse mare, really stout, lots of cow breeding, really aggressive. And 
I fight on mares. I haven't fought much recently because of this whole COVID thing, but I fight on mares because they intimidate geldings fairly easily. People that don't know horses think it would be the other way. Yeah. But when a big mare pins her ears and goes at the gelding, a lot of times the gelding will sidestep to get away and there's your free <laughs> shot. So, That's so it helps. fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. So one of the um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is around reading the horse's body language and something that comes up on every one of the behavior panel episodes is you guys are emphasizing the um, the necessity of reading the baseline or knowing an individual's baseline. And I think in the horse world, we need this too, because so many times we get into this like, oh, the ears are back, the horse is unhappy, the ears are forward, the horse is happy. And we get into reading these isolated things. And I know with what you guys do, some some of the people be like, oh, they touch their nose, it means they're lying. And you guys really have um, helped, you know, instruct all the viewers of like, you've got to read the baseline. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what that means to read the baseline and how that's important in being able to then read what's actually happening. Yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, the, the, the transition will take a minute, but baseline in human beings, you've all heard that body language means X or Y, that a person scratches his nose or looks a certain way, it means something. That's an absolutist school. And an absolutist says that when I scratch this muscle, it means that. Well, it's just not true. Humans are complex creatures and we're all onions. We start with little tiny guys learning things and getting rewarded or punished for them. And so behaviors develop much like a horse. And those behaviors cause us to do certain things. We'll mimic what our parents do because our parents reward us for it. They think it's cute and we act like little adults. Well, we do the same thing with horses. We reward or punish behaviors and they understand, they read it because they're looking to us for, for approval. But what you get is a baseline that for a person might look weird. And I'll give you great examples. Go online today and turn on the news and turn the volume down and watch the people on the news who are being interviewed, not the interviewer, because they get pretty polished. But watch their baselines and look for what's normal. I worked with a guy who had a mustache, and his normal stress routine was to pet his mustache. That's a weird <laughs> behavior. And that's called an adapter. Humans develop adapters to release nervous energy. And that can become so ritualistic or so normal that it just becomes their baseline. So we have to look for what they normally do and then look for change. Now, I'll give you a great example with a horse. I've got a horse that I sent to the trainer a little late. She was around three just to get a saddle on her, get her up. And she had never left my barn. And the trainer called and said, I've never had a horse do this before. And she was weaving. And mm -hmm. it was easy because she watches my channel. And I said, yep, that's an adapter. That's a way to release nervous energy. And that's what a horse does. That's a routine for a horse. They mm -hmm. pick up others. You know, cribbing gets to be a nasty, nasty habit with those kinds of things. But we all get to this ways of releasing nervous energy. And human body language is really, I can teach you in five steps. You know, I always do the five-step thing. A gesture, something we all understand. Horses have it too. They spin their rear end toward you. That's a gesture. You understand what it means. <laughs> yeah. They all understand what it means. And then you've got an illustrator. An illustrator is the way I take my finger and I'm batoning and illustrating my specific words or thoughts. And that is like using your index finger. So your thumb is a gesture. We all understand what it means. Your, your ring or your index finger is an illustrator. It's driving home my point. The middle finger, we typically, oh, by the way, in horses, they illustrate too. They may throw their head to send a mm -hmm. message and to say, get away from me. 
They may pin their ears in a way of get away from me, but it can also become a habit for some horses to pin their ears, especially if they work cows. If you ever watch a horse who mm -hmm. works cows, they'll pin their ears. Or if they're dogs around, I have blue healers. And oh, they, you know I have how a blue they are also. horses. I love them. They're great dogs, they but they can be difficult dogs. for horses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have two and they're they're intense. Wow. Yeah. But so they'll pin their ears when the when the dog comes to the stall front because they don't want to take a chance the dog will come after them. So often they'll when they lean their head, they'll pin their ears. It becomes a habit for them. Just like mm -hmm. anything you do can become like twirling a ring or that becomes an adapter. That's that same thing. Illustrators then are the way they are communicating what they're thinking. A gesture is something everybody understands. A barrier is something I put between me and you. And horses don't use barriers as much because they're not thinking that way. They're not looking for space. Their barriers are real barriers. For mm -hmm. example, one of my horses hates the healer, and she'll stand in the corner of the stall till I come and escort her out because that's a barrier. She can't see that dog, and so the dog is not there. It, as long as you come get me, I'll be okay. So mm -hmm. gestures are something everybody understands, turning your rear end. Illustrators, moving your head to drive a point, pinning your ears to drive a point, and that's that's punctuating what you're thinking. A regulator's, uh, I use my middle finger usually because you'll remember what that means. It means to stop a conversation. And horses do that with each other. Their body language with each other is very pronounced, a lot less with us. That whole, you know, the side crow hop, do all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you're living in the, in the herd with them, you'll see all these behaviors. And then adapting is a way to release nervous energy. And that's a sway that could become a habit for a horse. It can become a vice, things like weaving because they just need to release nervous energy. Now, when you're, when you're dealing with a horse, you have to look for what has become normal for them. Everybody I know has seen one of those horses who licks a wall or does something weird and they get a re really weird nervous tick. Mm -hmm. When that stops, it means something is going on different in their head than is normal. When it starts, it means something. So you gotta look for normal for that horse. Um, I, I see pictures of horses all the time who people would say pinned ears mean they're unhappy. And yet, if they're breaking at the pole and their ears are back it doesn't mean unhappy at all in some horses so yeah. you got to read that horse and look at what's normal for that horse that's been my yeah, experience and, and some of those adapters you know like especially cribbing sometimes there's a yes. stressful situation so they start to crib and then even if you remove them from the stressful situation yes and they'll just like you said it becomes a habit and so you know yep. sometimes they'll you know oh that horse cribs you're you're stressing that horse out. It's in a terrible condition. It's like, no, no. <laughs> it maybe was at one point, but yeah, that's why it's so important to look at the whole, the whole picture. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they get addicted to endorphins from that cribbing thing. So once and humans are the same way, this is the sad truth is that we all are creatures of ritual. Humans have rituals around everything, but a handful of other things. And if you're around horses enough, you know, they're just releasing nervous energy, but it can become a habit because an adapter is a way to release nervous energy and to make the uncomfortable comfortable or the unfamiliar familiar. And, you know, I, I've handled prisoners for a good portion of my life. And you watch prisoners do something that makes them comfortable, playing with a, with a finger, playing with their hair. You see people doing it on TV when they're in front of the camera. So we're no different. We're just more complex. Mm -hmm. And a horse, now I'm going to say what I think, and everybody can take it from there, but <laughs> a horse lives right now. They may have memories of other times but they don't dwell on things the same way a human does. They may have baggage associated with mistreatment and that kind of thing, but I've never seen a horse who dwells on things the way a human does. Our brains are so complex. Yeah. It may leave residuals and you may have to untrain that, but not nearly as bad as a human who has trauma and all that kind of thing. 
It's very difficult. We project onto horses a lot of things that I don't think are really there. I think they yeah. are living in the moment and they can be afraid, afraid, but you can fix that with a handful of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, even horses with past trauma, I don't think they're remembering the trauma the same way we do. I think they just have learned a pattern. Oh, when this happens, yep. then these things, and then this bad thing's going to happen. And so much of the rehabilitation is, is proving to them enough times that you disconnect that when this happens, it's naturally going to lead to this thing. You have to right. un break the pattern. And I, there was an, um, I, I was talking to an equine a psychologist and she said that the horses that actually weave and crib um have lower i guess cortisol levels like they actually are more comfortable and so sometimes mm. horses that want to crib people prevent them from cribbing and then they actually remain stressed out so it actually does really it does like you said make them feel more comfortable of course you want to get to the root cause why are they feeling right. the stress right. in the first place but sometimes like i said i had a I got a horse at age 11 and he was a cribber and I mean, I really changed his life and he was always a cribber sometimes, you know? Yeah, so I just, okay. I said, that's, that's him. Like, it's not, you know, he's fine. He's healthy. His teeth are okay. Um, but yeah, it, sometimes people come in and they make such snap judgments, just looking at one, one thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy to do with horses because we project so much onto them. I've done experiments. Uh, in one of my books, uh, most dangerous business book you'll ever read, I talk about artifact versus icon thinking. And I, I'm talking about people and people are on a continuum, not even a spectrum. So what I mean by that is an artifact is a thing and the thing represents everything. So a bucket, for example, to a horse represents food. And if you don't believe that and you live with your horse, if, you, if you're at a boarding stable, it's different. But if you live with your horse tomorrow, go put a bucket in the paddock and put up a game camera and watch how many times that horse checks that bucket. Because the bucket itself represents food. It's not that you put the bucket there. Otherwise, they would say, well, she hasn't been here in an hour, so I'm not going to check it. They'll check it 100 times. Don't think, well, there must still be food. It's, it's food. That's what food is. Their brains don't work the way we do. And because we don't have a capability of understanding how their brain works, we either one of two things. We either cast them as simple or we project onto them that they're human the same way mm -hmm. we do dogs and as my vet always says i have a little rat terrier she said you know that really is a wolf it just looks like a little rat terrier yeah and you need to get that <laughs> through your head we can't get that through our heads because we don't have a frame of reference for how a horse thinks yeah so i know with with humans when you're um talking about interrogating or watching these videos um to get the baseline you'll talk to them about or ask them questions about like simple things that aren't charged, you know, what did you do yesterday? Yep. And, you know, and then you sort of get them and where you know that they're relaxed and then you compare that to when you ask the hard questions. And then it's really, I mean, what I've learned from you guys, it's, you can't tell someone's lying, but you can tell stress. You can see stress right. compared to baseline. So I wonder like, you know, I, I have my horses at home and they're in herds, like you said, be able to observe your horses. Um, I think that's so important to be able to observe our horses, you know, just out there with each other. What are their normal expressions? What do they do? I have one of mine, like, has a best buddy. They love each other. They, like, graze off the same piece of grass all day. But he'll regularly just look over and, like, bite the other one and just hold his skin. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so then when he does that with me, I'm like, oh, okay, he doesn't hate me. He just 
is treating me like he treats other horses. Now it's not necessarily okay, but I know that horse right. where there's another horse that if they put their teeth on me, I'm like, whoa, what just happened? Yep. Why is that horse so upset? So, um, yeah, I think it's just really interesting. If you know the, the normal, then you can see when stress comes on. For sure. I have a, I have a stud horse who is, I guess, silver's 15 now. G great little guy. I raised him from a weanling. He's a silver gorilla. Uh, quarter oh, horse and just a great guy beautiful little guy he looks like pewter and when he was a baby he would mouth you really a lot and you, as long as i own this horse i'm not afraid when he puts his lips on me the problem with that is if you ever have a reason not to be able to keep the horse he's going to get mistreated because yeah. people are afraid of him now yeah. the other thing with with geldings and and stallions is they are mouthy with other male horses pretty bad and they will bite each other. And so he did bite me once and we fixed that pretty quickly because you have to draw a line or mm -hmm. it becomes a habit to your point. But yeah, I think right now I have a very stubborn yearling. I don't usually get them. My, my horses produce pretty compliant. They're, they're working cow horses. So, you know, they're not usually nasty, but he's a, this little yearling I have, this little female is really bad about turning her in toward you really bad. And it's taken me about three weeks to get her past that habit. And I said to you the other day, I, I can tell she's not meaning that she's going to injure me. It's a threat. And it's just yeah. body language. It's a gesture. Right. Now, I, like I said to you when we were talking, well, if I show up to your show, I'm right. Because I've been <laughs> dealing with her every day. And now she doesn't turn her rear end. I have a halter on her. She's turning her head to me for scratching. And mm -hmm. part of it's looking past what feels normal to us. And that fearful part of us, if you've been kicked or thrown off or any of that, all that fear that you bring to the equation, they can see that. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, having managed, I've been to war myself and I've, you know, taken prisoners and I've managed prisoners and handled prisoners so much that I'm going to tell you something you may or may not believe. You can smell fear when it's profound enough. And if you can smell it, imagine how well they can smell it early. Yeah. So just what I would tell you is to be careful when you're fearful going out there and you know, trying to put on a brave face, try to calm down, figure out routines for you that calm you down. You do them to your horse all the time. That's the reason people round pin horses or lunge horses or do whatever is they're trying to calm them, but try to calm yourself a little bit too, because that can really help when you're dealing with a horse, my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I want to get into the, you know, how to start mastering our own body language a little bit with that, with a horse, like you said, that, that, yearling so it's a young horse and it's doing this this body language whenever i see something like that with a horse and i'm thinking okay what are we going to do about this right so um i always ask myself like trying to guess i always feel like it's a it's a guess what are they thinking but are they doing this because of something they've learned have they learned that horses mm. that humans are something they need to defend themselves against or is it right. just like what they would do with other horses Right? Because I've, I've had some pretty dominant yep. horses who make a big point of making sure they can move every other horse out of the way. And are they doing that to me, you know, trying to teach me that? So that's where I kind of think, all right, if it's something where a human has proven to them that they shouldn't feel safe around a human, then I'm going to approach that issue a whole different way. But if I think, oh, baby's, right. check it, yep. baby's checking out who moves who, then I can go, well, <laughs> yeah. if I was a horse, how would I teach that lesson? And, but you're right. The key is not to go in there and like teach the sucker a lesson, just go, oh, you think you can move my feet? I can move your feet and to do it without right. the fear. And I think that's so important to be able to not be in a fearful mode because then we get 
um, aggressive and we act differently and, and we're going to set them off to think there should be a reason sure. to be afraid. Yeah. Cause I think they just feel stuff, whether, you know, if they, I if we are fearful yep. and they smell fear, then they think they should be afraid and then they're going to act accordingly. Well, like so. I said, these cowboys told me if you're afraid and you have claws, they yeah. should certainly be afraid. And that's a great point that you never think of when you're a kid. I, I was lucky to interact with a bunch of really good horse people at a young age. And I met lots of great English riders, um, horse trainers, that kind of thing. My first lessons were all English. I, I ride mostly Western now. But whenever I get in a bind, it's always back to both hands in contact with a horse and, and to put them <laughs> between my knees. It's, it's learned, yeah. a learned behavior when something goes wrong. So. Yeah. But I think no, the I think hardest that, that, thing for that us that to prey get predator, Sorry, that prey-predator dilemma is something that I didn't hear in my English training until I started studying more natural horsemanship and, you know, from a cowboy and, um, you know, just yep. to acknowledge that they, we have eyes on the front of our head inherently, they look at us and go, you could eat me. <laughs> and yeah, I think yeah. we, we take that, you know, for granted. And we have to, I feel like that's the first thing to overcome with any horse is prove to them that I'm not going to eat you. And we have to remember, and I say this to people all the time, that's a big animal. You have to remember, you have to draw certain lines in the, in the sand, but you also need to try to understand who they are. I, I know my horses because the kind of the breed I'm raising and the horse bloodlines I'm looking at, there's pretty much a behavior pattern in them. So if they're doing something odd, then I think, okay, wh what happened? What did I do? What did they mm -hmm. do? But occasionally, yeah. in, in a yearling, some of them are stubborn and they're going to show you who's boss and you just have to win them <laughs> over one way or the other, whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so kind of getting into the, our, our own body language. So horses are reading, I feel like they're reading our intention and our they body are. language. Yep. And, you know, the, the classic of, you know, the wild horses, they have to be able to tell the difference between a lion getting up to stretch or a lion getting up because he's feeling hungry, right? If they get, if they run away every time the lion stretches, they're going to be out of energy and then get eaten when he is hungry. And if they, if they miss it when he is hungry, <laughs> you know, they're so yep. I, on the one hand, I feel like a lot of what I'm trying to do with horses is try to be, you know, authentic, whatever that is like that my intention and my body language are matching each other so that I make sense to the horse. I'm not doing one thing and thinking another thing. But on the other hand, I'm not sure we actually are authentic sometimes because sometimes we need to be, you know, different than what we're really feeling, but we need to project a certain thing for a horse. And so I was thinking of, gosh, as an interrogator, you know, you guys, I was watching the, on the behavior panel, the interrogation where the guy ended up, this guy ended up confessing. And I'm thinking that interrogator had to kind of like build some rapport and appear to be on his side, even though he knew he was a murderer. And I'm thinking, gosh, <laughs> there, I'll bet you have a ton of sure. tips of like how to be, you know, cause you've got to get these people to believe you. Right. When you want to project so a, a certain thing. So, yeah. And, and I agree with this. If you live your life like a horse, I, I prefer to live my life like a horse, bold and in the moment. So if they do something stupid, you do something stupid and it's over. But not all horses <laughs> want to see every. And, and I am that guy. If a horse does something aggressive to me, I'm aggressive back and we're done with it. And that's that. And we get back on to business. But that's a learned behavior for me with horses over time. And every horse you can't behave that way with certain horses, you know, they'll hurt you badly if, if they're afraid and you get up on their back. Others, you need to draw a hard line in the sand. This, these Hancock horses I'm riding, great, great mares, wonderful horses. 
But they all the guys I know who rode those would say it's not a matter of if they buck, it's if they buck you off. That's all you got to be ready for. <laughs> so when they start to buck, I get control and make them do whatever it is. And they are not bad buckers after a while. But when you're raising them, you got to realize that's part of the, the youth. So to your point, when I'm talking to someone and I don't want them to know my true intent, often what you're doing is don't start where your intent lies. Right? You talked about rapport. Human beings, we all develop rapport through different methods. But one of the easiest, and I always say, old guys get rapport easier than others. All I have to do is sitting on a bench is put my hand to my back. And another old guy will say, I get what you're talking about. Or any horse person <laughs> can probably get away with that. We got ground, okay. common ground immediately. So rapport is about finding common ground. It's not about liking each other. It's about finding common ground. There's a process to interrogation that you probably could use with horses. I use it in meetings all the time. And that is you start off by establishing control. Then you establish identification. That won't matter with horses. Then you establish rapport. Then you go into approaches, meaning what am I going to do to get the person to do what I want them to do? Then you go into questioning and then you terminate. And so there's a lesson in human beings are nothing more than really, really, really complex animals. And we all learn from routine and repetition. I always say it's not a process. You can't teach it. The same thing with horses. If you can break it into process steps, a horse gets it. A horse is a quicker learner than any human. Three times and they got yeah. it if they want yeah. it. I would say three times is a habit, right? If they do some something three times and you don't break it, they're probably going to do it again. So mm -hmm. that establishing control, there's always a dominant party in every relationship, period, regardless of what the relationship is. doesn't mean that you're a jerk or that kind of thing, but there's an upper hand, lower hand kind of thing. And with a horse, yeah, With horses, sure. always think of who, who can move whose feet. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes That's a great one way of the most powerful, the most powerful first lessons I can do is just simply have like a pole on the ground and I go, you stand behind the pole. <laughs> and if beautiful. I can get the yeah. horse to stand behind the pole, like it's a very simple way to establish that boundary. And then they, then a lot of horses feel safe. They're like, oh, good. You're the leader. <laughs> yeah. I think all horses want a leader. It's just a matter of whether they mm -hmm. think you're that leader or not. That's the question, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've known, uh, I've, there are horses I've tried to mesh with that I just couldn't. I mean... Anybody who thinks there's a study out of, I think it's Emory that says that horses are calmed by human presence and that they don't believe it matters which human. I disagree with that. I think yeah, they're I talking about too. like boarding stables or, or riding stables. Maybe that's true. But we all know yeah. that horses have a preference. I've had horses that don't like men or horses that don't like women and how they get that. No idea, but certainly have run into those horses in my many years of doing this. So it's about making them comfortable enough with that control that they feel like there's value to continue that meeting. If, if you get no control up front, you've got no, no further to go. So then the next part with us is about establishing ID and you don't really care about that. It's really about making sure am I talking to the right person before I start an interrogation. Then there's the approach phase. And the approach phase is where we tap into your psyche. And that's when we're trying to figure out what's going on in your head and what it's going to take to get you to talk, what it's going to take to get you to give me information to commit treason, in my case, when you're dealing with a foreign soldier against your own country in exchange for me approving of you. And that's all that I have. I can't do anything to you other than make you happy that I approve of you. So <laughs> the same thing's true with horses. The, the approach you take is about how do you reward them. Some horses like X reward, some horses like Y reward. If I deal with this yearling the same way I deal with my 15-year-old stud horse, I'm, not, I'm gonna get weird outcomes because his, yeah. he's, he's my baby. I've had him since he's a little bitty guy. He runs to the fence for me to pet him. 
she doesn't care. So it's a different approach. I got to make sure she understands that I'm in charge at the same time. I'm not a jerk. In his case, he knows I'm not a jerk and he wants my attention. So prisoners are just like that, believe it or not, because they all have drives that are different and or people who have committed a crime. They have drives that are different. And we're looking for that. So it's about looking for that driver. And then what we would call questioning phase, we would probably call training, right? What we're doing in questioning is trying to get what we want. We're, we're after getting what we want. When you're training a horse, you're out about outcomes. And that could be on a trail. It could be hacking. It could be working cows and trying to get them to pick up something. It could be coming out of the box when you're roping. It could be sword fighting. It could be getting used to that. And the outcome is based on a set of requirements you go in there with in the questioning phase. So if I don't want the same thing from horses, I have to teach them differently. And so that approach and, and that questioning piece are different. And then finally, in an interrogation, what we call termination is when I'm done, I'd say, now, Karen, we talked about this. You told me that you think it's this. I'm going to come back to you in a little bit. You reinforce what worked. Whatever approach you're using, whatever training method you were using, you reinforce it. And then you say, hey, I'm going to go check everything you told me, and I'll be back with you. I probably got some more questions. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. And I've done that to real prisoners and come back a day later, and they give me more information because they roll it over in their head. If you do the same thing with a horse, you, we all know that we all know Sometimes a short, good ride is better than a long ride. Yeah. And that's what you're doing is you're reinforcing what worked and you're patting them on the neck or doing whatever that horse likes, giving them a treat, whatever it is. It's exactly the same thing. You're terminating that lesson in a positive note and reinforcing what worked. So there's lessons. Humans are not dramatically different than horses. Longer attention spans. That's about it. No, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, that's a directly relates, you know, because I think of one of the first things that I do with horses, you know, baby horses, first lessons are usually about boundaries, you know, hey, get out of my space, (laughs) you know, make sure I can be safe around them. And then I love what you said about building rapport. It's not about them liking you. It's about finding common ground. I think that's actually really powerful. And, And a lot of times, you know, we maybe women more than men we really love the relationship we want our horses to like us but but i think in the end it really is about just being together and being like agreeing to be together and sharing that space and one of the techniques that i use um, with horses especially who are nervous um, is like if they like look and spook at something i'll look and spook at it too and it's uh, my i'm thinking like yeah i see it too I see that, you know, so, and just kind of figuring out, yeah, what, what's important to them. And can I share that in them? Sometimes the best way to catch a horse would be, I just go out and I start like pretending to graze or muck around in the grass and they go, well, what are you looking at? (laughs) Oh, hi. Well, this, this Um, baby, this yearling that I'm dealing with, what I've gotten her to is now she comes across the stall to me instead of, and I've got about 12 by 12 stalls. And the first time I go in there, she'd turn her rear and I'm like, I'm not interested in your goofy, you know, whatever. And finally, she starts coming to me. And that's the key is once she's coming to me, there's another corollary to human beings. The most powerful person in the room is the person who doesn't move around a lot, meaning walk around or do a lot of movement. People go to them. It's the same thing with people as it is with horses. Humans are, the funny part is, horses don't take themselves seriously as humans do on some level. So we, we think we know everything. And, you know, a horse is like, okay, whatever. Whatever they're interested in, they'll eventually show. Humans are not nearly that that transparent. You have to pay a lot more attention to humans. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think humans, you know, I, I think you guys work a lot with people who are lying. And I, I don't think horses can lie. 
I, you know, dogs, so, I but, think, but he, can try, but, <laughs> but humans can't. I mean, but the horses can't. I agree with yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, um, so that's where I think, you know, your ability to kind of just see stress playing out is something that we're doing with horses a lot. We're trying to read stress levels. How calm are they? And then where does the stress come in? Like, where does the, the body language change? Yeah. yeah, we're humans. I think you're right. We, we get so complicated because we, you know, or maybe I'm speaking for myself, like I'll do something and it doesn't work. And then I feel bad and then I feel scared and then I feel mad at myself for feeling scared. And then I feel, <laughs> then I feel well, guilty for feeling complex. mad at myself. <laughs> we, we make everything difficult. It's human nature. I always said, if we could live our lives like horses right now, yeah. life is easier for you. And I, you know, there are lots of great lessons in religions about living in the moment and all that. I think yeah. horses live right now and they live right in the way they're thinking. But humans are yeah. complex creatures and the amount of effort we put in, to deception and that kind of thing. And once we start a ball of deception, we just keep adding layers to it. You know, we've got a cycle, mm -hmm. Scott and I have a cycle we call the liar's loop and every human does it when they lie. And so they can get themselves into a ball pretty quickly because it's trigger, then fabricate or make up something, then deconflict it to fit your life. Then, then you pitch the lie and then you defend the lie. And the yeah. more you do it, the more layers you add to it. You know, I always say nothing we're doing is new. Um, if you listen to all these parables and that from history, you know, that what a wicked, what a tangled web we weave from Shakespeare and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. All that stuff has some foundation because humans are ball ourselves up over things that really don't matter sometimes. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, the, you know, for me anyway, the, the horse has become a really good excuse to um, work on myself because the more I work on myself and the less balled up I am, the the more the horses, you know, enjoy being in my presence. So how, um, yeah, again, they have, they have some body language that is pretty universal. And most of your, most of you probably know this, but things like that extended lip, you can't miss for stress in a horse. And all. I mean, when I first learned that, that was magical for me as a young guy to realize when I see that lip hanging out like an elephant, I've got real stress in a horse and to give him time or her time and spend until I see that starting to retract and then watching the mouth, as they're starting to get concepts, all those things. The other mm -hmm. thing I always try to remember is humans are big on accomplishment. All of us are. We may quietly be proud of our accomplishments, but we are creatures who like to accomplish. It's how we're wired. A horse has one purpose if you watch them. I mean, yeah, they're socializing and all that, but they eat given a choice 20 hours a day. When you start interfering with their food cycles and they feel you want anxiety, mess with their feeding cycles. So mm -hmm. remember that when you're dealing with them because I've watched them, I always say, I thought I knew horses until I lived with them. It changes your whole outlook because you can see that when their food cycles get interrupted, they get antsy and anxious and resource becomes an issue for them. And then they have conflict in the herd and it's crazy what it does to them. I yeah. Was, yeah. It, and amazing. I do think, you know, like you said, like we're talking about the round bale, like my horses, you know, that have, having a forage based diet where they can, it can approximate as much as possible grazing is so important to their mental well-being and you know in boarding stables sometimes you know they get a flake and then five hours later they get another couple flakes and i think so many training problems can be traced back to that and, that, and i think you you've know. got to look for and it, the reason i mentioned that's because everybody can't have the same situation and you know i i had a poor thoroughbred i love this horse to death and i hauled him all over the country being a young soldier he was in a trailer of me going to whichever new post i was at forever <laughs> And wow. whatever boarding stables I had some great ones, some great learned a lot from the folks I was with, but not every place has the same luxury. And so paying attention to that, knowing that when you're taking them out of the stall, if it's hay time, 
that you're going to get some anxiety if they're being fed a few flakes of hay a day. Horses are wired to eat all the time. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. when they're, when that changes, you're going to cause some stress. The same way that, for example, in my prisoner days, if I pulled you out of your cell at the time other people were being fed, it causes stress. So pay attention to those triggers because they're some of the things that are most important to that animal in a way that we don't even understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to I want to go back to your your um, like how do you how do you master your body language in the presence of the people you have to interrogate interrogate and how could we maybe is there are there things to to learn from oh, yeah. that? that yeah, there's some there's some shortcuts and dirty tricks. So, for example, the one thing that you got to get used to is that when you move, you move either with fluid movement or rigid movement. And horses read that because they can see joint lock and that kind of thing. So give yourself permission to not ride one day when you feel that way and just work on that. Because sometimes what you do on the ground matters as you know, I, I'm no horse trainer by any stretch like you are, but what you do on the ground matters as much as what you do on a horse's back and mm -hmm. how much Absolutely. of you there is. I, I, I'll give you a quick short story. I, I rode my best fighting horse ever was a mare who had worked a feedlot. And by feedlot, I mean moving cows every day of her life, hours a day. And I bought this mare and she was just phenomenal. But she would hurt you if you didn't know how to ride her. And it wasn't mean. She just didn't know what you wanted. And this is a big dock bar bred quarter horse mare. And if you took your feet out of the stirrup, she stopped moving. She just stopped moving. If you got in there and you got forward in the seat, you're going somewhere. And if you got too far back in the seat, I can tell you where you're going in the air. She just did not tolerate it. And what I had to learn from that horse, it took a, a while for me to learn what she knew because I didn't know. Turns out she was the best horse I'd ever ridden, but you had to learn to ride like the cowboy who had started this horse. And once I learned that, all that worked. And all I had to do was pay attention to her for a while. And what I learned is if I climbed on this horse rigid, I was coming off. If I climbed on the horse and sat like the cowboy who rode her and sat back on my pockets, it was a great ride. So sometimes it's about figuring out what you are doing that's cueing the horse to go crazy. And there's a lady I knew who had been riding her whole life, who's in her 60s, who said, can I ride your horse? And I said, she'll let you know. You can try. And she said, well, I've been riding my whole life. And she got on the horse and the horse nearly killed her because she was riding she was forward in the seat and full contact in the horse's mouth and the horse just didn't tolerate it. So part of it is understanding what the horse needs as well as what you need. And if you're already really, really, really apprehensive, I, I give myself permission to say, I'm, today's not the day for me to ride. Because right. if yeah. I'm already spun up and I've got a horse who is dangerous, I'm not getting on that horse with that. But so work on, take a day with your own body language and look at yourself and think, what feels normal and what feels abnormal about me? Because fear, now I'll give you a human psyche thing, and you can use this for what it's worth. Fight or flight is buried deep in our head. We have these two little almond-shaped glands in our brain called the amygdala. We have a thing called a thalamus, and the thalamus takes all input that humans get, all visual input and all that, and quickly routes it to our, our cortex and to the amygdala. And the amygdala gets first vote. And first vote says that's dangerous or it isn't. If it doesn't look dangerous, then we get to think our way through things. If it, it does look dangerous, all of our fight or flight stuff comes on. And the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, one breaks and keeps us not 
I, and I'm going to get this backwards today for some reason. The sympathetic ramps us up. The parasympathetic ramps mm -hmm. us down. And the calm is not our normal state. So within microseconds of turning off the hormones that inhibit that, our body gets rigid. And I'm going to read off some things to you and pay attention yeah. to your own body when you do it, because this is what I'm looking for when I'm interrogating. One of the first indicators is your thumbs rotate toward inward. And what you're, you're wait, doing is your creating... your thumbs rotate? Yeah, your thumbs will rotate, your whole hand will rotate so you have thumbs inward. Because what you're doing like is this? trying to create an exit. So if your hands are like this normally, yeah, they're going to go like that. It's one of the first indicators. And what's happening oh, is weird. your body will <laughs> go rigid and your arms are trying to protect your internal organs. Because oh. as I always say to people, only humans, we're the only creatures walking around with all these vital organs exposed. Every other animal has an exoskeleton or they're leaned over. So when we're walking around, the first thing you'll notice in most people is their thumbs will rotate. They'll go in this way. Their pupils will dilate to take in more of the threat. Nostrils will flare to get more air because you need more air to move blood, uh, to oxygenate blood. Blood goes away from your skin, away from your mucous membranes, and primarily there's two systems that are tied up in mucous membranes. Those are digestive and reproductive, and you don't need either one of those in a fight takes blood away from your skin, pumps it to the muscles. So if you get a laceration, you don't bleed. If you ever notice a horse who's afraid and runs into something, he's not bleeding because it's in the muscle, not in the skin. The same thing happens to you. Mm -hmm. As a result, your lips will get drawn and thin. Your eyelids will sag if you are in fight or flight for a long time. If you look at the president of the United States, after four years, they've aged 10. It's partially because <laughs> yeah. of all the stress. So yeah. what's happening then is your body is preparing for fight. And if you don't need it, we're not smart enough to go, well, I don't need that. You have to ramp it back down. And all of that stuff changes how you move. It makes you more rigid. It makes you more rapid to respond and not in a positive way because your frontal lobe, the part of us that makes us human, this cognitive thought, this piece that's sticking out here is, is not friendly to all those hormones. And what they do is they turn off that thinking brain and put us back in, I usually say the cat brain, but I'll call it the horse brain. <laughs> Not logical thinking, response, respond. Mm -hmm. And we all know a horse can go from calm to running away yeah. in just a split second. But yep. what's happening to you when you're going into that fear cycle is exactly the same thing. You just are not as fleet of foot and you're not running away. You're, you're doing something else. You're doing something very human. And then what happens because it's turned off your reproductive and your digestive system is now this parasympathetic wants to get control again and they're fighting. And so I'll give you a couple of things that you can feel inside. First of all, I said respiration increases, pulse rate increases, and your blood has all gone away from your skin. What do you think it feels like when all that respiration and all those waste products have to come out through skin with no blood flow? Hmm. You feel clammy. And so right, we all have right. felt clammy. That's fight or flight. You may feel dry in the mouth. One of our best indicators and interrogators, you hear us talking about verbal or vocal clicks, dry mouth because those mucous membranes are dry. So all of that stuff should tell you if you're feeling dry in the mouth, if you're feeling your stomach feels like it's turning on and off, those butterflies, that's fight or flight. Now, I'm gonna give you a couple of dirty tricks that I teach interrogators to use always. And those are, we all adapt. That's where we release nervous energy. We said we fidget, we play with the ring. Curl your toes in your shoes. Your horse won't see it. As a matter of fact, you can use it when you're standing in front of people and you're you have stage fright, do the same thing. Curl your toes in your shoes. What it does is it's forcing you back into the thinking brain. 
it's forcing you to say, hey, Greg Hartley said curl my toes in my shoes. Your thinking brain's <laughs> taking some control and you're adapting at the same time. So it's giving you some control back. That's a, a, a cheap, easy trick. But so does it really have to do with the toes or is it just a something you can no, do that no one can see? It's just something it's a, you can do that okay. no one can see. So and cool. it's using your brain to remember and it's forcing you back in there. I've used that many times with corporate clients and that kind of thing. When you meet young people who are, who are scared in front of a crowd or older people for that matter. Yeah. And what you're after is getting to where you're more yourself because a horse knows what you as the normal self is. Yeah, one thing I they was just rigid. thinking when you're when you're listing all those things that happen, I'm thinking, gosh, you really, it's you can't pretend to fake it with a horse because you might be like, oh, they're not going to see. I'm just going <laughs> to pretend yeah. I'm calm. But with all those things, they're probably seeing, yep. you know, they're seeing all these things that we don't even realize we're doing that we're showing that yep. we're scared. Well, and that's what I'm looking at when I'm when I'm interrogating or when I'm talking is I'm looking for those deviations in baseline. And a horse, when you walk out and you're suddenly going from do to do to. It's competition day. Get on the trailer. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and we all get into routines. I was a theater guy when I was young. We all get into routines for whatever it is we do. So when I would go on stage, there was a specific routine I had before I'd go on stage. We all have those, especially for shows and that kind of thing. And if you don't think your horse is reading that, yeah, they see you do the same thing and they're like, okay, it's time to do this. Among my favorite horses to watch are like guys who team rope and that kind of thing. That's amazing to watch yeah. because those horses know exactly what their job is. They put them in the box and they back up in that corner and they're just ramped and ready to go. And if you watch, the guy does exactly the same thing every time he moves. Jousters are the same way. And the horse gets ready and they know and they're gone that quick. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we have curl your toes. Do you have any other... <laughs> Well, anything that is an adapter for you, yeah, anything is an okay. adapter for you because because a horse is not going to look for your toes to be curling or that kind of thing. People don't either on stage, which is why I use that one because yeah. then you're comfortable in front. But find something else. What is it that calms you before you go talk to the horse? Create a new routine, one that's calming. And, you know, it, maybe it's a piece of clothing. If you're calm when you're wearing X and you only wear Y for, for your showtime, maybe you should try one time doing something the opposite or you know you take whatever piece of clothing makes you jacked up and ready for show and you start using it all the time to quiet the horse or a version of it there's lots of ways to you've got to get into a routine and you know you guys who do dressage for me like guys who do reining and all that kind of that's ultimate communication with a horse and if you want ultimate communication with a horse it's got to take into account things you haven't thought of probably because they're reading things you haven't thought of that rigid seat your face, they read facial expressions, all kinds of stuff. So, so interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. That <laughs> that was a lot. Um, what else can I ask? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I was going to ask how your expertise in body language has informed your horsemanship and vice versa, but I think you, I think you covered that. <laughs> all well, along. you know, I always say I, I, I have moments with horses that I just think how did that happen? How did I do something that stupid with a horse? Because remember, we're the same thing is true in everything that humans do. Our brains are complex and our brain sometimes gets in the way of what we're doing. When it's right, I can always tell. We all know. Every one of us knows that when you get, when you're riding and things are right, when you're done, you're relaxed because your head is clear because you've been focused on the horse. I always say there, there are really three things. I run, this fighting thing I do, and horses are the only things 
that I can do that can take away all the stress in the world because yeah. you don't have time to think about that. You're too busy, especially with a horse or with a fighting thing because you're in the moment and you're doing what the horse does. Every moment is individual. It's not, they don't link things together the way we think they do, mm -hmm. at least in my experiment. And there's probably somebody out there saying, I can prove they do. But I don't think they have cause and effect in their head. I don't think they're wired that way. And if we can drop some of that, and it's just impossible as a human, but if we could drop some of it, we'd get in better communication with them for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just, it's so interesting how the, the protocol for the interrogation just really matches really well, you know, horse training. And I, I love the, um, the find, you know, finding the approach that what motivates that individual. That's something that I focus a lot on. I, I once made a, a PDF of um, 69 different things that make my horses happy, like between all my horses, because you, there's so many different ways to motivate. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not just hit them if they don't go. You know, do, does this one like yeah. rest? Does yeah. this one want to go for a gallop? Does this one like scratches? Does this one like baths? Does this one like cookies? Which cookies, you know? Um, but right. like yeah. just reading them to figure out what really motivates them. So that then I, you're I able to good, question and train them. I'll give you another one. In elicitation, which is how you get information from people without them knowing you're getting it. So, for example, spying or spy catching or that kind of stuff. There's a process you use, and it's like an hourglass, if you think about it for a minute. An hourglass is broad at the top, narrow in the middle, and then broad again. And so when I'm teaching business people, I often say broad, narrow, broad. You start off in a meeting where you're talking to someone. Talk about things that don't matter. You know, get to know the person, build rapport. When you get down to the business facts, nail that down, get what you need in that narrow part of the funnel, and then go back out broad. It's all this stuff has mm -hmm. so much in common with how you train a horse or how you deal with a horse. And what it really has for you is the ability to put you in a space that you don't are not in before you walk out there. Because most of us work at something other than our horses and have horses. And all that garbage we have in our head when we show up has to get to a place. So it's about creating ritual to put you in a place that you can mm -hmm. effectively work with the horses. All that is in the same way that when we bring a prisoner in, we're trying to create a new space that we can talk to them on a level that we couldn't talk to them any other way. So if you can keep that in mind, all the rest of the model doesn't yeah. matter. It's about creating a space so that you're working in that and not in whatever you came from before. I love that. that it, what popped in my mind is the going for a 20 minute walk with your horse then having a session and then go for a walk with your horse, you know, and, like, and a, my, my equivalent of that is I go hang out in the barn and I go stall to stall to stall, yeah. and, you know, treat each one of them a little differently and then pick out whoever you're going to ride. You already know. But then by the time you get to them, they're like, Hey, I got special attention because they're herd animals too. Yeah. And it seems to work for me when I get to the yeah. one that I'm going to ride, they feel special because I put a saddle on them and took them out. So. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I always feel like my horses, I want my horses to be jealous when I pick the other one. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this is so cool. And, and even what you said about back um, in the interrogation, the termination, you know, and having the short session, I find sometimes, you know, you have to figure out what's the drop of progress where you know that when you leave it alone, sometimes you're not going to get the breakthrough until the next day. You know, you, you make right. sure it yep. goes in, find the time to leave it. And then the next day you give them a chance, you visit it again. So you give them a chance to be successful easily. And that's, if you don't remember to go back, take the break and then come back the next day. And sometimes that's when you, like, you start to ask and they're like, I, you know, they offer it and now they get to be really the rock star. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, they're cool. such cool animals. They go out of their way to do, you know, some of them can go out of their way to be pains, but most of them will go out of their way for you. Most of them. Yeah. I and think it's a, it's amazing that they do, that they let us yeah. do this at all. And that I try to, you know, no matter how many decades I've done horses, I try to approach every day, like, I can't believe they let us do this. They don't have to. And well, they I, sure didn't ask for I it. I remember, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. I remember when I first met my, I, an ex-wife is how I got into horses a long, long time ago. And I remember thinking, who would strap themselves to a big, stupid animal like that? And <laughs> now if I had kept to that, I would have a lot more money. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Yeah, but, but you think about how powerful that animal is and what it can do versus what it allows you to do. And now take exactly. that a step further. You know, the the guys who work cows and all that on a horse, the partnership there is astounding. And then when we fight, if I show you pictures of us engaging, irony is the way we train our horses to fight is we play tag. We ride up and slap each other and ride off. And so the horses get accustomed to bumping into each other and doing that. And the hardest thing you'll ever do with a horse teaching it to fight is teach it to not give to pressure. You know, everything we spend our entire lives teaching a horse is to give to pressure. I have a big mare, 17-1, and she's a draft uh, thoroughbred cross from the Primarin days, a big old girl. And I always say if I ever got rid of her, I'd have to have Cole branded on her side do not try to block her path because she's been taught to run over people and other things. Yeah, you and need that in a jousting horse. horse, right? Or a fighting horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> different, different than the way we teach modern horses, right? Yeah, yeah. In some ways, I think it's much more natural for them to move into pressure. It seems. Yeah, I do too. I do <laughs> it's, too. Yeah. Well, they, I think they, they get it, and I think they get the yeah, and I think they get the purpose. I think you know, with something like that, with cows and with fighting, and I think they they get their job. I think dressage is pretty unnatural. <laughs> you know, well, it, it, and, and that's it's the game. To, is to you know how do we, um, you know how do we get them to play this game. And, and for me, the first part of dressage is like, I want to be like their favorite yoga teacher of like, Ooh, I feel better. Thank you for moving my shoulders. I, I feel right. looser and freer now. And then from there, so the first part is for the horse. And then the last part is like, Hey, how many cool, can I get you to go to the gym? Basically? Can I get you to go right, to the gym exactly. and do some push, you know? And so that's this the dance game move for me. that I want you to do here. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, can I have build enough rapport, enough partnership and prove to them that I'm, I kind of have some good ideas that make them feel a little bit better. And then how motivating can I be to get them to actually do this? And for me, I want them to do it with me because some dressage gone wrong can ugh, oh, be yeah, like, yeah. you know, torture because well, they feel no purpose and it, right. it feels controlling. So that's the risk. Well, I think when we <laughs> think back to, and this is always the subject of debate among medieval horsemen, right? What, how did the, dressage, that always comes up, oh, dressage is nightly training. Well, it is. How do I control this and this and this? And the horses those guys rode are nothing like the horses we ride today. We think of them as Clydesdales and that, yeah, in the 17th century, maybe when it was jousting. But uh, Anne Highland actually wrote that the, the perfect horse for medieval, you know, in, in those days is probably a quarter horse, about that same size, mm. short compact and could work. And when I rode in England, I was riding cobs. They were not big horses at all, but stout and could carry the weight and do their job. But what the difference is we ride geldings or mares. They rode exclusively stallions. 
Hmm. And they were aggressive, known to be aggressive. They were trained to bite people. They were trained to trample people. They were trained a lot of the moves that you do. You know, it, when you get to some of the higher stuff where, like, Lavad's and that kind of stuff. Or the Capriol, really. Better kill the horse. <laughs> kick the oh, guy Oh, yeah, I love that horse. one. They just jump, spin, <laughs> and kick the guy. So that kind of stuff is amazing because now you're talking about a 1,200-pound warrior versus you, your weak little self up there with a sword. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's really cool to see what's possible. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure oh, to be here, Karen. Very Enjoy. interesting. Definitely a different kind of conversation around horses than I've had <laughs> in a while. So super, super cool to, to get that other insight and, and hear your stories of jousting horses. <laughs> well, thank, and thanks for having me. And it's always fun to meet other horse folks. And, you know, I, I don't often share the body language and the jousting and all that. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool to share all that with you and your, your folks. Well, when, you know, when I heard you talk about licking and chewing, I'm like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> so cool. Yep, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. And I'll make sure I post the links um, in the show notes on this episode page on my website so you can find uh, more information about Greg. You've got a, um online course about uh, body language. You've got multiple books and, again, the YouTube, the behavior panel. Anything else you want to um, send people to? You know, I think the behavior panels are a real thing today. There are a couple of things. Scott and I have a thing called Body Language Membership. That's a community for body language folks and any questions and that kind of thing. But collectively, the behavior panel is one of the best groups I've ever worked with. Four guys from all over the world. We're, all four of us are ranked in the top 10 in the world this year. Uh, Mark is always yeah. number one, by the way. So, <laughs> it's a, so, yeah, a, a really, really good interesting characters. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Fun guys. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. Have a good day. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.